you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Boy, she does that so much better than me. Welcome to the Big Show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys being here. As always, welcome to the Big Show. We bring in the CEOs, the billionaires, the White House presidential advisors, the Pulitzer Prize winners, all the smartest people on the planet bring their stories. They cultivate them over their lifetime or, or sometimes multiple lifetimes, if you believe in that. <laughs> if you're in Hollywood or something, I don't know. The uh, But they bring their stories. And uh, as we always say on the Chris Foss Show, stories are the owner's manual to life. That's how we learn. You watch movies, TV, all that. Even the Kardashians are stories, unfortunately. And I don't know why. Why am I being, why, Chris, why, who hurt you? Why, which Kardashian hurt you? All of them, actually, if you watch the show. I lost like five IQ points over there. Chris Conway joins us on the show today. He's our featured guest, and he's going to be telling his stories about life lessons and stuff you need to know during it or else. I don't know. I just start saying that on the show all the time. It's funny. He, Chris Conway, is an expert entrepreneur and operator in the life settlement practice. He has been offering research-driven life expectancy assessments for a range of industries so we can all figure out how long we're going to live. He'll tell us actually the day we're going to die. No, I'm just kidding. He's not going to do that. Maybe he will. I don't know. We'll find out. You got to listen to the show, damn it. He also gives this for senior living, the senior living sector, offering the research-driven life expectancy. His So, you know, you can plan when you're going to, you know, get your inheritance, I guess, basically. We'll find out. His peers know him as a critical thinking, straight-talking entrepreneur advocate focused on working with investors and asset managers to develop the next-generation platform for life-contingent businesses to prepare for the coming wave of older-age consumers. Welcome to the show, Chris. How are you? I'm well, Chris. Thank you very much. I love the intro and appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. Appreciate having you as well. Give us your .com, so where you want people to find you on the interwebs? ISC Services as, is at www.iscservices.com. There you go. And give us a 30,000 overview of what you do and how you do it over there. Well, we, we operate what we call a micro longevity assessment business. Uh, in, in simple terms, we estimate life expectancy for the insurance and life settlement industry predominantly, mm-hmm. but there are other markets we can talk about um, on an individualized basis. So mm-hmm. as opposed to a population number where everybody gets lumped in together, we look at each individual one at a time and assess life expectancy and actually issue a report, which is a snapshot of the condition of that person in the moment. Wow. That's pretty good. So it's like Carfax for people maybe or something. (laughs) That's a good way to look at it. The other analogy that that we think we may evolve into is something along the lines of a credit score. Ah, 
Wow, boy! If I if you give me a credit score based on my on my health, I think I might I might I might not be able to qualify for any mortgages. That might be true. <laughs> that, that might be true for a lot of people. I need a little uh, bit more weight, but that's the example. But you can positively or negatively affect both of those, right? That's true. You can yeah. improve your credit score, and you can improve your life expectancy. See on the insurance forms and health forms that are like, do you smoke? Do you drink? Do you take meth? Do you take crack? You know that sort of thing. <laughs> To, to some extent, yes. We actually consume that as input. Um, mm -hmm. We don't normally deal directly with the public, although we can. Mm -hmm. um, but we get that kind of information in as part of the, the data, if you will, that we analyze for our clients. There you go. And so what's my life expectancy? When am I going to die? No, I'm just kidding. I probably have to fill out the forms. So, I, this is, <laughs> so who are your clients on this? Are they big business then usually? Our, our clients range from what we life insurance brokers, financial planners, mm -hmm. um, senior living facility operators to large investment funds, mm -hmm. often with brand names that are unfamiliar to the household, but backed by some of the largest financial institutions in the world. There you go. And they purchase policies based on life expectancy assessment and other things, and we sell those those property estimates, if you will, into those marketplaces. Do you guys, because uh, I don't know if there's a way or I've ever seen questions around this, but do you guys take in genetics at all? Like, do you ask questions like, you know, how, how long do your family members live? What were their sort of uh, health histories? We do. They're, the mm -hmm. family history is a relevant factor for underwriting. Ah. Interestingly enough, in the insurance market, there are, there are actually states that prohibit now the use of that information. Really? But from our perspective, and we're, we're a subset, a very small subset of the life insurance industry, but uh, those are relevant factors. There's a lot of things you can do to improve your, your life expectancy or harm it, but there are some things that you can't yet do anything about, like who mom and dad were and how they yeah. behaved and, and so on. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping I have my mom's genetics. She's had a really clean run through life and she's old and that's mean to say. But you know, it's a fact. It's a fact of life. I think she'll she you know, she gives me a bad time about it on her birthday. But uh, she's you know, she's had a straight run. She's had she's eighty one years old and she's never had any major you know, stroke, heart attack, nothing clean run so far the only thing she's had is you know some knees replaced and, uh, and she's you know she's lived her life and so i'm hoping i have a run like hers you know i have a lot of these friends that are having heart attacks at 55 and some of them are kicking over and i'm just like oh geez wow that's my age it it it, it can be frightening to to get reach the point and i've certainly reached that point mm -hmm. where you think hey that could be me because the calendar lines up such that you're the same yeah. age, you've been hanging around together doing the same things, but your genetics yeah. can help you a lot. Yeah. In fact, I think, isn't that largely what it is? You know, you see people live to a hundred and uh, it seems either that, or I don't know if it's my perception, but it seems like a lot of Jewish people live a long, long life. Like they usually make to a hundred and stuff. I don't know if that's I mean, the... I don't know if there's a, 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 a lot of data for a lot of reasons, political reasons and otherwise, where yeah. ethnic background, mm -hmm. uh, there are factors, for example, sickle cell disease, yeah. uh, certain conditions are, are, are relegated predominantly to, to certain ethnic groups, mm -hmm. but there are more people living longer, particularly amongst those that are elderly, wealthy, well-advised, have access to the best health care 
mm. and and you know have a genetic predisposition. I, I have a grandmother that made it to 101, oh, wow. broke her hip at 97 and survived, which wow. is rare. Yeah, that's really hard. Uh, sadly, my mother did not make it that far because something came in from the outside, a cancer that was mm. not genetically oriented, but it, it doesn't hurt to have longevity in your, in your family history. Mm. Uh, and we do take that into consideration because it is a factor, but it's only about Researchers tell us it's 30, 35% of the force behind your life expectancy. It's not as predominant as one would think. And that gives you the opportunity to change it. Yeah. Yeah. Just get healthy. You know. And, you know, I, I, uh, you know, all these smoking and drinking and, you know, meth and party and heroin and lions and tigers and bears and whores. And we're just going right down the line. I don't know. All, all those oh things my. are bad for you. <laughs> Oh my! Yeah, that's what <laughs> you, you you got the joke. I was trying to set up, and somehow there you go. Everything. Oh my! Lions and tigers and bears. But uh, you know, I've had a pretty I've had a pretty good run. I I I haven't had to use my health insurance ever. It's like the dumbest thing I pay for. But to me, it's it's at this point, it's just like a it's like a extraordinary event sort of thing. But uh, <laughs> I just never have had to use it in fifty five years. I well the. The, look, you don't want to use your insurance, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah. the funny thing about life insurance in our business, and, and I've been around that, that business most of my career, is that life insurance is the only form of insurance that if you have it when the claim event occurs, it will pay. Most yeah. people, you know, they spend their whole lives trying to drive safely and, and not have accidents and so on, and they spend a lot of money for the protection that they hope never to need. Yeah, Life insurance is one of those things that a lot of people have but don't understand well. It is the one form of insurance that always pays a claim if you have it in force when that event occurs because we all eventually go to the great beyond. Wait, what? I thought it was exempt from that. So there you go. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get in this business, Chris? I mean, my, the, the true story is that I was uh, working for a small consulting firm in Lexington, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful town. And uh, we went to the Cincinnati area to do a seminar on advanced planning, a financial planning technique. And one of the fellows in the audience at the end of the presentation asked me if I wanted to have a beer. And we went for a beer and he, he we sat down, had a, had a nice chat, and he said, have you ever heard of a viatical settlement? This is 1990. And I mm -hmm. said, I have not. And the viatical settlement market grew out of the AIDS epidemic, where people with AIDS, which was at that time a terminal condition, almost guaranteed. Yeah. And they were selling their life insurance to get money to pay for care because there was no social infrastructure Healthcare didn't cover it. It was an epidemic that, you know, the National Institutes of Health and so on were working on, but nobody could fix it. And, and I became fascinated with turning the life insurance product on its head and using it in a different way. There was a lot of social benefit involved and all that, but I, was, I, I just never heard of it hmm. and I uh, couldn't stop thinking about it. I, I often describe it as kind of a virus where, you know, you get an idea in your head and you can't let it go and it's a real thing. And I've been in the business for 32 years ever since then because I, I think it has a lot of potential. It's interesting. There are problems to solve. 
but it was just a casual conversation over a cold Budweiser that, that got me started. <laughs> now, did you start this company? Did you launch it? We actually bought the brand mm -hmm. from a friend of mine who sadly, he was an actuary and an underwriter. He, he loved life and he lived large mm -hmm. and uh, he passed of a heart attack. Oh, wow. His business partner is a super guy still around. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, we, I contacted him and I said, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this thing, but would you sell it to me? I knew this fellow's family. We were friends mm -hmm. and we bought it without knowing what we would do with it. Again, it was a component of the business we were in and we, I was fascinated by the potential that it had to serve an older age market that was much larger than the life settlement business. And, and he was retired and interested in racing sports cars on the weekends and that kind of thing. He sold it to us. Turned out there were some liabilities there. And then about five years in, my business partner and I said, you know, what are we doing sitting on this thing? Let's fire up the engines again. So we had, we had an operating history and then a pause. And then we re-entered the market, which is life settlements is small. And uh, I mean, we had orders on day one and, 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 and have been going at it ever since trying to grow the business and, and promote the industry and, and, uh, and see if we can develop the technology and the science and the, the art of underwriting as best we can in that marketplace. There you go. Well, I'm hoping with my mom's genetics and then my genetics so far, I mean, I've mm -hmm. been overweight. I drank kind of hard for about 15 years, but I quit all that. I never smoked. I'm hoping that I have my mom's genetics and the fact that I've had a clean run so far, but I don't know. You never know. I could be hit by a bus tomorrow. I could get cancer tomorrow. I suppose that's always an option, but I'm hoping <laughs> I, I got some sort of good genetics going on. Cause like, I don't, I don't like doctors. They don't like me. And I, Oh, I do. I full disclosure. I did have to start getting testosterone treatment. My free testosterone is a little low. So I guess technically, but, but that's not an insurance. So I'm just paying that with cash. Cause I don't, Really, I don't really want to mess with it. So this is kind of interesting. What what are some changes that you're seeing in the world with with you know with your analyzation and research of people? Are you seeing you know higher cancers, more overweight Americans? This might be a dumb. This might be an obvious question. You know, uh, as the baby boomers are just in mass going into retirement, mm -hmm. what are what are some of the different things you're seeing? And maybe. I don't know, some advice you give to people live their lives a little bit better, like quit well, so, smoking and meth. I mean, one of the one of the, the the things that I've learned, and I'm you know, I'm not an underwriter. I own the company. We employ underwriters and doctors and actuaries and so on. And most of them are friends and, and people I've known for a long time. One of the most interesting things we see in the population of lives that we look at, older age people, generally they're fairly well off, although the life settlements market's trying to, to become more efficient so it can serve the average consumer, if you will. Mm -hmm. One of the things we see is something that you're kind of referring to when you talk about your family history and the fact that you've avoided the need for healthcare so far. And that is there's, there's an average life expectancy for the average male and female, non-smoker, smoker, et cetera, mm -hmm. in, in, in the population. But if you, if you get past the window where you're likely to be amongst the average and pass away mm -hmm. 75 to 85 let's say that's it's not that broad but 
then you reach a point at which all the things that might have impacted you, your life expectancy, haven't. And we all know, we all have people in our lives that are overweight, smoke and drink, and they're 95 years old. And you think, and, and they eat, you know, steak for breakfast, lunch yes. and dinner. They do all the things they're not supposed to all do. The and the yeah. truth is, what's fascinating is that there are anomalies in the world, people in the world that demonstrate the ability to live beyond the averages even though all the things that they do from a lifestyle perspective, particularly or healthcare wise, never go to the doctor, these kinds of things argue that they shouldn't. What we're seeing, for example, in the cancer world is, is it's more of a healthcare issue, but we consume the results of these things. That there's a significant degree of customization of treatment, mm-hmm. genetic treatment for cancers. Yeah is a lot of cancers are driven by genetics to a certain degree. And so when you underwrite an individual, if you see that they're eligible for that treatment or a trial related to it, it makes it very difficult to say that it's not going to work until you have enough data to know what the statistics are. But a lot of people come out of those situations more so than you would think. In other words, they call it experimental, but a lot of times these things work. It's the same with transplants. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be that transplants were even successful ones. You'd have mm-hmm. a shorter than normal life expectancy. Now, now it seems like the hardest part of that is is finding a donor. Uh-huh. Uh, but if you have a successful transplant, and I've got friends that are in their 50s, they're not part of the population we look at that have had two transplants. Mm-hmm. The, the, the quality of, of life is better for those folks. And there are a lot of things that used to take your life that used to cause you to have a super short life expectancy that have a treatment period that's shorter. Mm-hmm. But if you get past that treatment period and we assess this risk, like we'll say, if this person gets a transplant, all bets are off and they're as healthy as most of the other people in their group. So those are some some of the things we're seeing just in the development of of medical technology. You got to keep in mind, the United States is not top end in terms of life expectancy as a population. In fact, I think it went down over COVID or something, didn't it? We're, you know, 50th in the world in terms of, I mean, we we spend a lot of money on healthcare, but the outcomes aren't necessarily better. The the other side of that coin, Chris, quite frankly, is that there, there's a, there's a movement, right. To have everybody live to a hundred or longer. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there are people in our business that theorize that we wear out. Yeah. Like machinery, we rust, you know, I've got a few spots on my, hand that my mother used to call liver spots. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have anything to do with that, but but we rust, you know, and we wear out a little bit. It doesn't mean we can't live that long, but there's a big emphasis on quality of life at older age as yeah. opposed to quantity, right? Nobody wants to be 80 and miserable, yeah. but they're fine to be 80 or 90 and comfortable. And that's, we are seeing, you know, healthcare technology drive that so that we're seeing more and more much older people, 90-year-olds and so on, than we used to see over the last, you know, 25, 30 years. People are living longer 
because they're being propped up, the question is, is the quality of their life improving and so on? We're not sure about that yet because that varies from person to person. That's true. I suppose how much pain you might be having, how you feel, you know, you may still be alive, but you could really not be having fun. My sister's in a care center with MS and dementia now. And so, yeah, her quality of life isn't good, even though she's older. Sadly, she's not older than me. She's younger than me, which is just a shitty thing about MS. So do you guys use a, you guys use a benchmark of someone who's really clean, like a baby who's never taken, you know, drugs, smoked or drink. And then you take the other end of it, a person who will live forever, Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones. And, and that's your bell curve. Is that, no, I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, from a population standpoint, yes. But the way that the underwriting business works is that you start out as what they call standard. Mm. So you are average amongst the thousand people of your age, gender, smoking status, et cetera. Standard is 100% in the life insurance world. And then you can have preferred mm-hmm. where you're 85%. You're much healthier than the average person in your group. And you can have ratings to the other side, mm-hmm. 150, 200, 250, 300. And what that translates to is if you have a 300% mortality rating, you're three times more likely than the average person in your group to die sooner. Hmm. And the, the higher your rating, the greater your risk of premature death. But you can change that, right? If you have 300% and you're drinking a bottle of Woodford Reserve every night, smoking a carton of Marlboros. You say that like it's a bad thing. I'm not. I had to do that joke. There's there's a bottle of bourbon not far from my reach. (laughs) Remember, I lived in Kentucky. So, but (laughs) but the point is that you can change that. If you stop smoking for a year, Mm -hmm. your body, generally speaking, most people would be considered a non-smoker from that point on because you're you're. It's amazing what the human body can recover from. Yeah. So you can do a lot of damage in your in your younger years. It yes, will it catch up to you at the end? Certainly that's likely. It happens a lot. Yeah. But you can you can do a lot of good by modifying your behavior, the way in which you consume healthcare and and your genetics will, will have something to say about that. A lot of people take statins for cholesterol, for example, mm-hmm. but a lot of cholesterol is related to your family history. You know, my mm-hmm. entire family has high cholesterol. So I have high cholesterol. It's likely that my son will have high cholesterol. If oh, you man. know that, you can be proactive about doing things about it. But we basically, it's a relative risk process the way you describe it. You have you have an archetype for standard, preferred, etc., And then you have degrees of impairment that drive your relative risk and then an actuarial table will tell you how many months or years you're expected to live and you can build a curve say this is the average this is the midpoint and here are the people on the other end obviously everybody would like to be comfortable on the tail mm-hmm. the longest end of that curve and, and live a long happy comfortable life yeah it's definitely not everybody all- does but they like to yeah, it's it's definitely about quality of life when it comes to the end. Do you guys have a way of creating stupidity? Because those people with Darwinism seem to be the ones who die first. So I, I would tell you my children would say that I do, and mm-hmm. it's not particularly forgiving. Okay, but we 
but we don't, although we see it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> do, do I have some family members. Can I have you uh, assess them for that? Arminism? By all means, if they'll sign the, the, <laughs> the federal authorization for us to take a look, we'll take a look. <laughs> I'm, uh, honestly, I'm surprised I'm still alive from Darwinism. So there you go. I made it this far. But uh, you know, you bring up some good points. Uh, people need to be wary about their health, their quality of life. You know, and you, you, I don't know, man, there's a certain age where you start thinking about that. One of my friends had been in a car accident and, and his, you know, they were starting to fuse his spine together from one point to another, because mm -hmm. once you start it, it, you know, everything gets mucked up and yeah. you end up just, I don't know, paralyzed or walking around in, I don't know, what's that when you die? Rigor mortis. There's a joke there. Right. It's a dark show. <laughs> just walking around with Rick or Maria Morris. Isn't that what called a zombie? Anyway, the we'll leave that to HBO. But, you know, he. I remember I, I, we used to tell him because he would walk with a cane and he would fight to work with a cane. And I remember telling him, I'm like, dude, why don't you just get a wheelchair? And he goes, he goes, Chris, you understand this is a fight over quality of life. And he goes, as soon as I go in that wheelchair and I start losing muscles in my legs and my abilities, yeah. he goes, I'm never getting in on that wheelchair. And he goes, so I'm fighting. I'll, I'll do everything I can to not be in a wheelchair. And I was like, wow, I never, I never really thought about quality of life up until that. And, you know, now the older I get, that seems to be the, the fist fight I'm having with my body and, and, you know, trying to lose weight. You know, I'm doing the Exempic right now. I started that about seven weeks ago and uh, I've lost a lot of money. So I got that going for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, we need a little stress. They're still, life. they're still, they're still dying in, but I have lost a little bit of weight. But uh, you know, uh, and so uh, the kind of the Zempic thing is kind of interesting. It, it's turning into this kind of I don't know what you call it a monolith or something. Like planes are flying lighter, people are losing weight, Hollywood stars like Oprah actually look good finally again. I just picked on Oprah yesterday. So you know, what, do you see maybe uh, this new? craze with the Zempic blue tide it seems like it's having a it, lot it yeah. is a, a, a you know i mentioned statins earlier i have a colleague and friend from the industry who's now kind of semi-retired but when statins came out the effect that they caused was so dramatic that they assigned a credit they actually gave you some benefit some longer lengthening of your life expectancy if you took statins and at the time he theorized that eventually everyone would take them as a as a as a protective measure preventive mm. measure wow. it's interesting and i'm again i'm not a scientist i'm not a doctor sure. but but the the dramatic change i have a friend a former partner that mm. i hadn't seen in a while went into new york met for lunch he looked fantastic Mm -hmm. uh, but he couldn't finish his lunch. Wow. Uh, and I mean, he was full, he was satiated, he was fine. Don't you hate but, people like uh, that? He was terrific. He locked, and, and he's, he took it for, for, because he was a diabetic. Huh. Uh, and, and the change was dramatic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I hadn't seen him in a while, but he looked terrific. He felt fine. And it, it's an interesting question, Chris, because we don't know, right? Mm -hmm. We're, we're, we're going to start consuming health information and underwriting it and evaluating it from people who are taking this because it is a monolith. Yeah. I read something the other day that you just referred to about 
you know, the way airlines save fuel is is to cut weight. And they think that passengers are going to be lighter to carry mm-hmm. and they're going to save a lot of money and hit the bottom line with savings from fuel, jet yeah. fuel. Yeah, it could whole be economies, something yeah. like that changes the game. Yeah. yeah. It affect it's affecting whole economies. In fact, I think Sweden or wherever it was developed, they're seeing. I I swear to God, they're seeing lighter flame, planes are coming. Maybe it's over in Sweden, wherever this country it origin from. Um, it's like make it's like becoming their economy, their number one export, yeah. and so many people are taking. It. I mean, like Oprah just admitted to it the other night on Letterman, or not Letterman. <laughs> Well, I just told how old I am on Stephen Colbert. <laughs> Letterman 2.0. But, uh, you know, it is interesting. It's in, I, I'd heard about it, and I finally I bit the nail because my insulin resistance, probably for all the fun I had all of my life, was yeah. really just fighting me. And I know insulin resistance is a big killer, too. And, uh, you know, and here in America, you know, where we overeat everything and, and our food is made to to uh, drug addict us with dopamine hits it's and someone told me they're using it for addiction as well because i don't i just thought it was it was a thing that would regulate my insulin and try and get you know my insulin resistance sort of issue cut down and it does something to your brain like you just do not give an f about food like i'll go open my refrigerator and i'll look at it and there'll be food in there that's that's enticing my brain just goes i'm not interested like, yep. I, That's I just, what my buddy told me. He said he's simply not interested in eating another bite. Yeah, You're, and then I'll go out to That'd eat because I like to go out on the weekends and and just treat myself. But you know, just to just to kind of reward myself because our weeks are pretty heavy here. But you know, I like to go air out. That's my that's my decompression, mm-hmm. and so I, I I like to go out to eat to nice places. And so I'll go out to eat. I'll order a fine dinner, and you know, the salad and marola will come, and I'll be like. Yeah, okay, I'm done. Like, it's really, it's weird. <laughs> you almost have to force yourself. You're like, you really need to eat. Like, I intermittent fast, but I'm like, you know, I really should like try and have a meal maybe today, maybe. And yeah. you're just like, okay, I'll force myself to do this. But it's yeah. really weird. I went out to an Italian dinner the other night, and it, I remember it wasn't that much food, but it was a fine dining food. I, mm-hmm. I had three meals I turned that into. I ate like a little bit at the at the restaurant. And I came yeah. home the next day for lunch, and then I had the other half for dinner. And it was it was like, oh, it was like about that much food. Yeah. Like, so I, I hopefully that will change maybe our life expectancy if we can get insulin resistance down, addiction down. It's a crazy drug, you know. A lot of people are like, I don't know what it's going to do, and I resisted it for a while. They're like, could have side effects, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm 55 and I'm fighting to lose weight, and and somehow I just cannot. I, you know, my intermittent fasting will pull it. So it'll be interesting to see. Maybe it'll change whole swaths of, of our country. And I don't know. Then we can I eat mean, more Big Macs. It, it, look, it, it could. And, and yeah, there could be some long range effects that nobody can predict. It's, mm-hmm. it's like the, uh, you know, co- the COVID pandemic, you know, within two and a half years of, the initial event, right? People were talking about long COVID. We have a we have a medical director who said, I don't know about you, but I don't think two years is long. Um, yeah. You know, the long range effects might not be what anybody thinks they are right now. They're, you know, you do analysis in the moment and we do this, right? We do, mm-hmm. we, we do work now. We sell a service now 
And then we have to wait years for the outcomes to validate what we've done. And, and it's iterative. Mm. We've been doing it for a long time, but we have to do it from longer and longer and more and more to really know. And, and then you get back to what you were talking about earlier, which is if it improves the quality of your life now, right, and addresses some other issues that might impact your long-range quality of life, that's kind of how healthcare works, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and with the health, the the food supply. I mean, this is just my opinion, but our food supply. You know, if you travel, and you, I'm sure you do, you go to other places in the world. The food supply is not vacuum sealed and packaged the way it is here. It doesn't have fluorescent colors and so on and so forth. We got to do something. But it is. It it was a dramatic. Just that one friend of mine. Really, I was amazed at the transformation for him I'm uh, because he was you. severely diabetic and and frankly not healthy prior to starting so i mean i've had i i intermittent fast i've intermittent fast for a long time i lost 100 pounds mm-hmm. intermittent fasting wow. uh, but i kind of hit this wall about six months ago where it just wouldn't work anymore and i couldn't do long-term yeah. fasting or else i would wreck and part of it may have been low testosterone a little bit but just I, you know, it was insulin resistance. I could tell, mm-hmm. and so uh, yeah, it's it's strange. It like almost rewires your brain, and I feel more emotionally stable too, like chemically and everything else. Not that I've had emotional problems, but there's I don't know. I, I just feel more chemically stable. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Oh. You brought me to my question. I set it for you next about COVID yeah. and stuff. You know, I I've I've got friends that long COVID, and I and they're pretty sure they've lost ten years off their life. My sister has it. She's had COVID like four or five times being in a care center. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way it's 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 done damage to her, I think, permanently, especially with her dementia. But mm-hmm. so what are you guys seeing with long COVID and, and people that have it? Are, are there any indicators yet? Or are you guys still studying the data? I mean, the, this is the interesting thing. So a lot of people think that COVID would have affected, would have caused more deaths in the life settlement market because it was causing more deaths everywhere. Mm-hmm. Actually, didn't. Huh. It actually didn't in the main. And one of the reasons for that, we believe, is that the population or the group of people that, the, that have availed themselves of life settlements so far is, again, elderly, wealthy, well-advised, with excellent access to the best health care available. Hmm. Long COVID could have, obviously, there are long-range effects for the people affected by that set of symptoms and conditions. We don't know how long those things are going to last or what impact they're going to have on life expectancy overall. However, a lot of people that have it have other things. And one of the things that's, that's kind of weird about the underwriting business from, a, from an outsider's point of view is what, we all know people where they've got diabetes and they're overweight, and they've got heart disease and they've got whatever, low T and, and, and you know, inflammation and all these, and they've got all these impairments Mm -hmm. and some underwriting organizations stack those things. Everything counts. But part of what we're all trying to do in in life expectancy assessment on an individual is figure out what are the things that are are really matter. So for example, you can have bad knees and bad shoulders and, and, and back pain and so on and so forth. But those things are not going to shorten your life expectancy. They're going to make you miserable, perhaps. They're not going to shorten your life expectancy. The ancillary effects they cause, swelling, inflammation, inability to exercise, 
all those things can can cause you know increases in your mortality risk but that's one of the things we're trying to do with long covid it's a set of a syndrome if you will right a group of symptoms and so on but you also have to look at what else is going on with that life so if hmm. you've got esophageal cancer and long covid and esophageal cancer treatment's not going well the fact that you have long covid is not i'm not saying it's not meaningful but it's not going to be the driver and that's one of the things that skilled underwriters have to figure out is what's really driving the excess mortality and how are these other forces perhaps exacerbating the thing that is the driver so long covid could be one of these things that makes other things worse hmm. it could be the thing that's that's the driver but it, it it's more likely at least so far there's not enough data yet that enough time to have passed for it to be long mm -hmm. to really say the other thing is is that just like ozempic i mean 10 years ago there was nothing for weight loss like this yeah right and there's a tremendous amount of global resource put towards the research whether you, whether you agree with that or not lots of people spend a lot of time and money studying all these things and the pharmaceutical industry you know has an economic incentive to come up with things that will at least treat if not perpetuate you know these kinds of conditions a lot's being done about it now i think what you're going to have to do sadly is wait because mm -hmm. covid's now something that it appears like we're going to have to live with a version of it the same way we do with the flu yeah if that becomes true i don't know how much work how much benefits going to flow through to the the treatment of symptoms of long covid what's interesting is you don't hear as much about it as you did Nine months ago. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a, I don't know what percentage, but I think it's a smaller percentage of the population that has long COVID. And I, 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 you know, I'm no scientist or whatever. My perception, my, from what I understand from my friends who have it, the damage, the, the body overreacted because it didn't have a blueprint to work with initially. It's never, you know, it had never had this attack. And so we didn't have any sort of, genetic preparation or DNA, whatever the hell it's called, you know, the mRNA sort of whatever the blueprint. And so it, the body over inflamed many of its organs to fight it off in as it does, but it really, you know, over does a lot of damage. point that it did damage. And so it's done damage to their body organs. A large time, a lot of times they'll be my friends and their lungs are shot. I mean, there's some people they've, they, their lungs are so bad that they're on a, that they're on oxygen and, I think in that case, yeah, you're you're definitely looking at you know something that's permanent, permanent. And I, I think now with the, if you, I mean, if you've had your mRNAs and you've got that blueprint in your body that it can fight it, and you know the body knows how to respond. It seems like people have had less, fewer COVID, but I think there's still people getting along COVID from it. So it's just this is one of those things where it's it's crazy. We may not. You know, maybe a long time, like you say, before you find out what's uh, the full effect of it. But that's yeah, kind of interesting, betting on the quality and length of people's lives. So uh, what's the lifespan of, uh, of Keith Richards? And do we do we all need to start planning better on what kind of world we leave behind for him? He, he's what one of my colleague competitors in the industry calls a super ager. <laughs> a super ager. <laughs> right. There are people out there who... I actually mentioned him to my kids the other day who are obviously older. They had no idea about whom I was speaking, but 
You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. There are people out there that literally make you scratch your head. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, I could step off the curb and the bus is going to hit me. <laughs> he could step off the curb and the bus will go around him. Probably, yeah. And, you know, it it, 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 it it is remarkable how some people um, are able, and again, we see this a lot where, our clients will call and say, how could this person possibly have a life expectancy of six years, a 92-year-old? Because there were all these little things wrong with them. And if you stack all those and you go, look, the longer you live, the longer you will live because you're demonstrating the ability to endure these things. And it's not normal. It's not average, but it happens. Yeah. It happens a lot. And, and uh, you know, it, it's aging is becoming, you know, a theme. And there's a lot of infrastructure being built around it. Everybody talks about the baby boomers. I went to a presentation earlier in, in, in or a little one-day conference, a data and analytics in the senior living industry. And the keynote speaker is the demographer. And he was talking about, you know, the, the, the generation behind the boomers is going to live longer and be even bigger during their older age than the boomers. Mm-hmm. And the silent generation was not as big as the boomers. So this, this aging science and all these kinds of things is going to continue to advance and grow and evolve in ways that, you know, we all kind of eventually brush up against. But Keith Richards is the kind of thing that always, is always going to happen. You're going to think, if that were me, I'd be in a box by now. <laughs> How did they do it? And there are what's what also is interesting is it seems like probably because of the way that you know the world works that there's a lot of famous people who lived very hard, yeah, well, had a lot of fun but hard that make it into their 90s. And you think, I I do everything right, there's no way I'm making it to my 90s, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe there is something about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Uh, yeah. there is something about sex drugs and rock and roll for it is a particular prescription right? <clears throat> maybe you need to put that on the on those health sheets have you ever engaged in sex drugs and rock and roll all at the same time you, <laughs> do you know keith richards yeah right. <laughs> there you are, go. You personal, are you personal friends with any of the following yeah do you have any dna tied to the richards family Right. Uh, you know, there's this one thing. My mom's had me taking one of those uh, DNA tests, the twenty three and Me. Yeah, or, it's like all yeah. those one of those things. And uh, are you finding that? Uh, have you found that maybe that data really helps you guys do the business better? We don't. We don't get a lot of that data. It's an interesting business, right? Because they basically you you pay them to get back some interesting stuff that's can sometimes be useful and so on. But it's it's a great way to collect a lot of genetic information about a lot of people. There you go. Um, drive science that'll drive treatment and so on and so forth. So yeah. it's always cool when you can get somebody to pay you to do more of what you do. Yeah. From a research perspective, we don't get a lot of genetic reported or, or, or genetically reported data in the healthcare records that we see now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very complicated area. I think technology will probably help distill, you know, certain genes that drive, for example, breast cancer is probably the most famous one. 
But we don't see a lot of that in the underwriting space. The other thing that, that the insurance industry has to deal with is, as an example I mentioned before, there are states that prohibit the use of that kind of information to determine what you should be charged for your life insurance policy because they consider it discriminatory. Oh. So this would be, you know, it's probably an unfair analogy, but imagine if your driving record didn't matter. And that would mean my premium for driving, if I'm a safe driver, would go up to cover your premium for driving when you're not because they wouldn't be allowed to ask you if you were not. So there's some politics that gets into that as well. The other thing that's going on in genetics is uh, they're starting to study how disease and behaviors can change certain chemical reactions in the genes. Hmm. So there's a group, for example, that's developed a way to know that if somebody ever smoked, whether they're lying or not, without a urine test and so on and so forth, it's genetically based. Problem is there's not much of a market for that right now, but other things might matter. You know, have you ever, you, you mentioned crystal meth a number of times, you know, have you ever done business with Walter White kind of thing? Um, <laughs> How much and, meth have you and, cooked in your life? <laughs> exactly. How many Winnebago's do you have? <laughs> so it's, it, 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 I think that eventually the healthcare data system it underpins the United States, which is extremely diverse. There's thousands of companies that aggregate this data, but eventually genetic data could be useful to us. Right now, it's rare to get it, mostly because a lot of people that we deal with on a regular basis, 70, 80, 90 years old, have not gone through that exercise. Oh. Right? Mm -hmm. Somebody buys it for them as a gift, they'll do it, but it's not something that the typical 80-year-old says, I'm going to get a genetic test because they figure – Whatever they're dealing with now is probably in there, but knowing that it's in there doesn't matter to them the same way if you're 50 or 60 and you want to know what's coming. There you go. It's a fun way to find out if you're adopted, and then way you can go, like, <laughs> thank God I'm not related to those relatives that I have. Thanks Excuse for me. an interesting Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right? I was just reading, uh, posting on Facebook, some some guy had two white parents, and he's white. I thought he was white. And uh, he uh, he did one of those DNA tests, and uh, turns out his mom had a tryst with somebody, and he's mixed race. So on vacation, <laughs> on vacation. Oh my goodness! Yeah, there you go. So uh, it's a great way to find out. You're, uh, you're you're like, oh, what was mom up to? You know, <laughs> how come I look? That explains why I look like the mailman. There are jokes there. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been really insightful. Tell people how they can onboard with you. Uh, what, what sort of clients you're looking for? Or how they can reach out to you if they have questions. Right now, we do business with senior living industry participants, mostly operators of continuing care, retirement communities, things of that nature. We also do work with the financial planning industry, wealth advisors, people like that who are trying to map out how a retirement is going to be funded and for how long and, and when those risks are likely to change. And then, of course, we, we play you know, a major role in the life settlements industry, which is the sale of unwanted life insurance by people who have limited and ascertainable life expectancies. Okay. And uh, that's where we, we evolved. And as we branch out, what we're looking for, Chris, is longevity risk. The risk of living too long has costs and implications for healthcare and economics and so on. We're just a a means of measuring that on an individual basis. <laughs> I'm sorry. So you've lived too long. We need to push off a cliff because you're costing us a shitload of insurance. Well, it, well, 
here's the here's the interesting thing, right? You don't want to outlive your money, right? But you don't want to not live and enjoy the end of your life wherever that's going to be. And if you think about it, right, a lot of people go online, they find a calculator and they put in the answers and, and they get an answer out. It almost always overestimates, right? Mm-hmm. Because nobody wants to be, I, I'd call it realistic, but most people would say, well, I don't want to know. What's interesting is most older people are much more comfortable with the remainder of their life expectancy than the people around them, the kids, the grandkids. So what we typically do is we're working with organizations, institutions, advisors, and so on that are working with older age Americans and advising them with respect to these issues. They may not use the same terminology, but it's in there. You know, you go to a financial planner and he says, by the time you're this age, you're going to have this much. And if you spend this much for this many years, and then, you know, we think you're going to live this long, there'll be this much left for the kids. Some people say, I don't want the kids to get anything. Okay, well, then you can spend a little bit more and you can spend a little bit more. And, and, and part of what we do is provide that kind of almost like a credit score, right? That, that, that projection. And then we can update that as things change. It's mm. iterative. There you go. Well, this is going to be pretty cool to to think about, and hopefully, we've given some people maybe some some thoughts of maybe maybe I should you know give up the booze, the meth, and the crack, and the cocaine, and the wild women, and you know all that sort of stuff, or what we call around here at the show at Fridays. <laughs> don't do drugs. Here we are. That's, a, that's a joke, people. Don't do drugs. The lawyers make me say that. The judge, too. I get one of the ankle bracelets off the stack of them next week. <laughs> I love that joke. Awesome. So thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Very insightful, Chris, and you've scared the hell out of me to living better and getting off of everything that I'm not on. So there you go. Well, I, I hope you enjoy your holiday. I really appreciate you having us on. And uh, I hope uh, you have a safe and enjoyable holiday and works for you. And what you yeah. do on Fridays is your business. There you go. That's what I <laughs> That's what I told the judge. So anyway, guys, uh, we certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Foss, LinkedIn.com, Foss. Subscribe to the big LinkedIn newsletter, the 103,000 LinkedIn group, and all those crazy things we do on the internet. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time.